when, when I went to college, um, I, I, was, I was a thinker and I was thinking about stuff. And the thing that I was thinking about is, is that I needed a gimmick. Because in high school, I wasn't able to, to get any girls. And so, and so I, I, I hoped kind of in high school that I'd be the, the Brad Pitt lookalike, that that would be my gimmick. Um, but, but that didn't happen. And so, so I thought I needed a gimmick, and I, and I saw musicians, and that they, had, that they got girls. And so I thought, well, I'll try that out. So I, I picked up the guitar, and I really liked it. Uh, so I practiced the guitar all the time. And then I remember one time I went to this youth group. Um, no, nah, I, was, I was older, like a you know, like a leader or something. But, but I went, and there was a 75-person youth group, and this band had come into play, uh, this band that no one had ever heard of, and there was this young worship leader uh, leading worship there uh, by the name of Chris Tomlin. Uh, he had never, you know, no one had heard any of his songs before. Uh, and, and so I saw him, and, and it, was, it was really great. I mean, he was, he was a very gifted worship leader. And the thing that I noticed, though, is he was playing a Taylor guitar. And I thought, oh. That's what I need. I need a Taylor guitar. That will be the thing that takes me to the next level. And then I was at this, this conference in, in Waco, Texas, uh, and there was this other band that, that, wasn't, that was a little bit more known, but not really. Uh, uh, and the guitarist, the acoustic guitarist, was playing a Taylor 710CE, which, as we all know, Indian rosewood, back and sides, cedar top, you know, beautiful fretboard. It was amazing. It has the cutaway so you can, you know, get up on the Guitar Hero stuff up there. Had it had a Fishman pickup in there that had a, a pickup with a mic com- combined and you could, you could mix it right there on board on the guitar. It was so amazing. Uh, the band was, was Mercy Me. They released a song called I Can Only Imagine uh, and it was overplayed later, later um, but not at the time. <laughs> So anyway, that was my goal. I knew this was what I needed to do. So uh, I was already working at this place called Smoothie King, and I thought, okay, I'm just going to start working extra hours to earn extra money so I can get a guitar, this guitar, this Taylor 710CE, because I knew this was a thing that I needed to have. So I worked extremely hard. I worked a lot of hours. I said no to a lot of things. I sacrificed a lot of things. I saved up. I didn't spend money on, on, on anything except for this guitar. And so after I got the money that I needed, I went to Mars Music, uh, which doesn't exist anymore because they gave far too many good deals, and I received one of them. Uh, and, and, I, and I got this guitar, and oh, I love this guitar, and I took care of this guitar. I played it all the time, but when I wasn't playing it, I put it back in the case with two humidifiers, just in case. Uh, didn't, didn't want anything that bad to happen to this. I, I, I took care of it. I wiped it off every time I was finished playing it, just in case there might have been some sweat on it or anything. I mean, it was beautiful. It was pristine. It was amazing. It just so happened that summer I went to camp, and, and while I was at camp, this this famous musician came in to play a concert. His name was Michael W. Smith. And I was, I was excited. Um, he, was, he was more famous back then, apparently. Uh, and <laughs> he, had, he had just released an album where he apparently learned to play the guitar because he was, uh, he was a piano player. That's kind of what he's known for. But on his new album, he played, played the guitar a lot. So when he came, he didn't bring a guitar, but he said, I need a guitar so that I can play some of the new songs. And so, of course, I volunteered my guitar because my guitar was going to be played by Michael W. Smith. <gasps> Whoa, yeah, I know, crazy. 
It was amazing. And, and so, so he took my guitar and, and he, he went up there on stage. And when he played the song, the guitar song, he put it on. I was telling everyone, I was like, that's my guitar. That's my guitar. This is Michael Smith. He's getting his sweat on my guitar. He's getting his sweat on my guitar. But I held it back. I was, I was all right. And so he was jamming along, playing the guitar, playing, you know, G, C, and D. It was so amazing. And, and, and he's jamming along, and all of a sudden, bam! He bashes it into his keyboard. Yes! My, 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 my pristine Taylor 710CE that I've taken such good care of that I had scrimped and saved for making smoothies. <laughs> and he just, just bashed this gigantic gash in it. Oh, and, and, I, and, I, and I, 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 I was flipping out there in the audience. And you know what he did? Nothing. He just kept singing. He wasn't distraught that he just put this gigantic gash in a guitar. Do you know why? Because he had 10 of them at home. Because he didn't work hard to get the guitar. He didn't sacrifice for the guitar. He didn't pay for the guitar. And he has people giving him really nice guitars all the time. He didn't even think about it. Because I'm sure this happens all the time at his concerts with his guitars. And he's, 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 a, he's a great guy. And I'm sure had he known this was such a big deal, he might have done something. But, but, but it just it blew my mind. And I was thinking about that as, as we've been in the, the book of Acts. And I was thinking about the fact that I don't really value my salvation very much. The gift that I was given by Jesus because I didn't do anything for it. I didn't have to pay for it. Jesus paid it all. I didn't have to sacrifice for it. He sacrificed for it. And so I think a lot of times I carry it very carelessly. I don't really worry about it too much because it was free. It was free to me. It, it, was, it, it doesn't seem that valuable sometimes. You know, we're, we're in the book of Acts, and Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the disciples asked Jesus a question. He's getting ready to leave. He's died. He, he rose from the dead. They spent 40 days with him, and they ask him this question. Jesus, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, is this when it's all about to go down? We want to know. And Jesus says, well, actually, don't think about that. Like, don't worry about that. Don't concern yourself with that. Concern yourself with this. What I want you to do is you're going to receive power and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. That's what you need to think about. You're going to be my witnesses. And Jesus did this amazing thing. Is he took this, this gift of salvation that he gave the world by taking sin upon himself, all of our sin upon himself, paying the penalty for it, rising from the dead to new life and giving us the opportunity for new life in him. He gave the disciples this opportunity to carry that message to people who don't know. And we are all recipients of what they did, the lives that they lived, the message that they carried. It's amazing. As we continued on in the book of Acts, we, we see that it was carried to a guy named Paul. And Paul began going on missionary journeys to all the Gentile nations, the people that weren't Jewish. And he went into the area of, of Galatia, and then he went up into the area of Macedonia, just preaching the good news, talking about, hey, 
God isn't mad at you. He loves you. He wants to invite you into his family. There's this guy named Jesus who was fully God, fully man. He died on the cross to pay for your sins and you can be invited into God's family because of what he did. And then Paul went through some crazy stuff. He was trying to go to the obvious places uh, that you would think you would go to preach the gospel. And, and the Spirit of God inside of him kept shutting the doors for some strange reason. It, I imagine it was confusing, wondering, where is he taking me? What, what is going on? And finally, the Spirit, through a dream, leads him to Macedonia, to this place called Philippi. And we talked about Philippi last week. And last week in Philippi, it was the ideal situation. They go on the first Sabbath, which was a Saturday, they go on the Sabbath to preach the gospel and they find this group of women who, who fear God. They're not Christians and they're not Jewish people, but they, they fear God. They, they, they have some sort of concept of God. And so Paul preaches the gospel. He tells them about Jesus. And this woman named Lydia says, I'm in, I'm in. And not only did she accept Jesus, but she said, I want to get baptized. We're by the river. Let's get baptized. So Paul baptizes her. And then, and then she shares the gospel with her household, her entire household, her family, her servants, the people that work in the business that she has in her house. And then she says, well, I've got some gifts and talents that God has given me. I've got the gift of hospitality. Paul, I want you and Luke and Silas and Timothy to come stay at my house. Come into my house and, and I'll take care of you. And she begins utilizing the gifts that God has given her for his kingdom to bless those that are preaching the word. And then she, she goes even further and she says, I want to invite the church into my house. I have resources that I can give. I have stuff that can benefit the church and I want to utilize it for the glory of God to bless the local church. This is the ideal situation. You preach the gospel and all of a sudden someone is getting baptized. They're sharing their gifts. They're sharing their resource. They're sharing their life with the church. Now, as we talked about last week, that is not always the story. But it was the story there. And I imagine at this point, Paul, Silas, Timothy and Luke are thinking, man, we, we definitely made the right choice. We are definitely following the lead in the Spirit because this is confirmation. The success that we had is obvious confirmation that we're in the right place. So today, they're still there in Philippi, and we're going to pick up. So why don't you grab your Bibles? If you don't have one, you can snatch up one of the beautiful blues or wonderful whites that was, is on your chair or was on your chair before you sat there. Otherwise, it's going to be really uncomfortable. I think it's page 602, I'm just guessing. Let's find out. Chapter 16 in Acts, if you don't have one of the beautiful blues. Page 601. I was, I was so close, so close. Page 601, Acts chapter 16, verse 16. And it says, as we were going to the place of prayer, this is Paul, Silas, Timothy, uh, and Luke, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Now, the, the word there, uh, spirit of divination, is a python spirit. Uh, and, and everyone knew at the time that that had something to do with the god Apollos. Uh, Apollos uh, had this, th this, this bit of him that had to do with fortune telling or, or future telling or allowing people to look into the future. So if anyone had some sort of clairvoyant gift or they thought they had some sort of clairvoyant gift, they, they automatically, people automatically assumed they were priestesses in service of Apollos. And so you've got this girl with this spirit of divination. And, and, and because of this, her, her owners are making lots and lots of money. 
you need to understand that in our day and age, it's not, it's not, not that big of a deal. Uh, most people don't believe in that kind of stuff. But back in that day, they believed in it hardcore. In fact, uh, no Roman general, no Roman commander, no wealthy person, no emperor, no leader would, do any, would make any major decision without consulting an oracle. And they would have to pay to do that. So you have all these people in Philippi, which was a Roman colony. It had a big Roman garrison with Roman commanders. This was a big deal. And, they, and she was making a ton of money for her masters. And so, so she's following uh, Paul and them around. And it says in verse 17, she followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, to me, that sounds really good. Paul is preaching about the Most High God. He is trying to tell people about the way of salvation through Jesus. And when you read this here, it sounds like she's saying, Hey, everyone, Turn away from uh, Zeus, turn away from Apollos, turn away from Jupiter, turn, turn away from your gods, and, and, and go there, because Paul's proclaiming the way of salvation through the Most High God. It sounds like she's a great asset to Paul's ministry. But you have to understand, this was a, uh, a God-saturated culture, and, and, and God's plural. They believed in multiple gods, many, many, many gods. They, they had gods for everything. They had a ton of temples for different gods. And the worship infiltrated their entire lives. So when someone, especially someone who was thought to be a priestess of, uh, of Apollo, was saying, they're proclaiming, they're, they're talking about the most high God, who do you think most people would have thought she was talking about? Zeus. Or his other name, his Roman name? Jupiter. Jupiter. God, it's amazing. Amazing. I actually got to teach this this morning at Winter Garden, and an eight-year-old kid was the only one that knew the answer. I was very impressed. Yeah, and then I, I told him his parents would give him a dollar because he got it right. <laughs> they didn't. And so, uh, and then the way of salvation, this was proclaimed a lot. Uh, whenever a Roman emperor would, would, would uh, d- declare peace, uh, Rome was a very uh, Civil War-torn country uh, about 50 years earlier. And so there was a ton of people that talked about their, them being the way to salvation. And so this was a very confusing thing. And this, rather than clarifying Paul's message, it muddied up the message. It was confusing. It made it more difficult for Paul to share the gospel. And Paul was all about sharing the gospel. And so it says in verse 18, It says, she kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. So Paul gets annoyed. And he's annoyed because she's clouding up the message. She's not pointing people to Jesus with what she's saying. She's making it more confusing, more difficult for people to understand what Paul is saying, what Paul is preaching. And so Paul gets annoyed. He says, hey, I want people to know about Jesus. I want them to be invited into the family of God, invited into the kingdom of God. And this is making it more difficult. So we cast the demon out of her. Verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. When they realized that they couldn't get any more gain out of this slave girl, they were furious. You have to understand, she made their lives comfortable. She gave them a lot of wealth. I'm sure they got used to a certain kind of lifestyle and she provided for this lifestyle. 
And so now when they realize she can no longer do the things that she was doing before, they're up in arms. They can't believe it. They're furious. Could you imagine if someone took your livelihood away, took your ability to make money, your ability to provide for your family, your ability to whatever it is. Could you imagine how mad you'd be, how frustrated you'd be, how angry you'd be? These guys were angry at Paul for what he did. And, 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 and it's interesting. The gospel always conflicts with the ways of this world. You see, the world says that what you need to pursue after is wealth. What you need to pursue after is power. What you need to pursue after is popularity. The world says you need to grab hold of and assert your rights. The world says you need to preserve your life. You need to have safety nets. You need to have comfort. But the gospel says the exact opposite. The gospel says to be servant of all. The gospel says to lay down your rights. The gospel says to lay down your life. And this message, when it comes into con- in contact with, with the world, it, it, it's in sharp contrast. And, and people don't like that. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And I don't have to tell you that in our society, that's offensive. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's offensive in this world. Because we want everyone to be happy and not have any feathers ruffled. We want everyone to just be able to think what they want, believe what they want, and we'll all be happy and we'll all dance around holding hands, singing kumbaya in the afterlife, whatever that is, to whomever God, whatever. But the gospel says that Jesus is the way to God because Jesus is the only one who made the way to God. Because we were estranged from God, because we rebelled against God because of the sin in our lives, because of the choices that we made. And Jesus, by taking sin upon himself, he made the way to God. And that's offensive. It's very offensive. I imagine there are some of you right now who know people that would be extremely offended just hearing this. And when the gospel, when you're bringing the gospel, when you're carrying the gospel, it will offend people and people won't like it. And these people didn't like it because it came into conflict with what they were doing. And so what did they do? They seized Paul, uh, they seized Paul and Silas and they brought them uh, in the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. They have three things against them. They start off with Jews. They're, they're Jews. Now, people were a little bit prejudiced against Jewish people at this day and age because of the special privileges and the unique way that they lived their lives, the unique way that they kind of, they, they kind of gathered together. They didn't, really, they didn't really associate with other people. They didn't eat with other Gentiles. They had these weird laws that people didn't understand, these weird ways that they worshiped they didn't understand. And they didn't have to pray to the emperor. They could pray for the emperor. So people didn't really like Jewish people. The Gentiles didn't really like Jewish people, especially when you got into places that were very Roman. And Philippi was extremely Roman. So they start off saying, these guys are Jews. And all of a sudden, the, their ears perk up. Going, oh, oh, uh, okay, these guys are Jews. 
And then it says, they are stirring up our city. This was a big deal. Uh, in, in, in Roman times, the way that, that Rome continued to have peace was they ruled with an iron fist. And anytime a rebellion rose up, anytime there was a, a, a mass, a mass of people uh, rioting in the streets, they would get their army in there and they would stop it. They'd stop it by force. People would be killed. People would be crucified. This was a big deal. And if a city was caught rioting, uh, they could lose their special privileges of Roman colony. The magistrates could lose their jobs as the people supposed to be keeping the peace. So this was a big deal. And thirdly, they said they are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans. And that was just the icing on the cake. They, they, they couldn't take it anymore. And so this is what happened. Uh, it says, in the, uh, it says they, uh, the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them. This is Paul and Silas. And gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. A lot of times when I read what went on back in that day, it's, it's hard to visualize. It's hard to understand. It's hard to feel what they felt. And now Paul and Silas had just done what God had said. They had followed the leading of the Holy Spirit to Philippi. They had been doing the right things, doing it in the right ways. They were helping this girl who was possessed by a demon, right? Now she's no longer possessed. That's a good thing. And all of a sudden they get dragged before the courts, dragged before the magistrates. And they rip their clothes off and they start beating them with these rods. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the bruises that this would have inflicted, the pain it would have inflicted, the scars, uh, the, the broken bones, the open wounds that would have happened to Paul and Silas because of them following the way that God was leading them, because they were carrying the gospel well? You know, we'll, we'll find this out in a second, but Paul and Silas are Roman citizens. And this, it's unlawful for Roman citizens to be, to be beaten without a trial. All they had to do was speak up. I'm, I'm a Roman citizen. He's a Roman citizen. You can't do this. That's not okay. And, and that would have been a big deal. And we'll find out how big a deal it was here in a second. That's all they had to do was speak up, say, I'm a Roman citizen. And they would have been beaten with rods. Why did they do that? Why? I think it's obvious that, that in some way, shape, or form, the Spirit of God led them to keep silent. Because Paul wasn't all about his health, wasn't all about his wealth, wasn't all about his survival. Paul was about carrying the gospel, this amazing news. He was about carrying the gospel. And we find out, and we'll find out next week, how great it was that, that Paul did this. We're going to have the third part of, of Philippians next week. But because Paul cared about the gospel, not about his own life, not about his own wealth, not about his own safety, they endured great punishment they didn't have to. That they didn't have to. Uh, go back to Acts, uh, verse 35. Chapter 16, verse 35. 
It says, but when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let these men go. So they spent the night in prison, in, in the stocks. It says, and the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, uh, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were, they were Roman citizens. And so they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison. They visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. This was a big deal that they beat Roman citizens without a trial. And, and you know, when I, when I first read this, I was really confused. Why did Paul do this? They, they were going to let him go. Why did he just go? Why did he make a big deal? He's, I mean, it sounds a little bit childish at first. But as I was praying through this, as I was thinking through this, it's really interesting that Paul was always about what was best for the gospel. And you think about a small church, a small brand new young church in a city like Philippi. And Paul cared about the reputation of the local church so that the gospel could continue to spread. Because as, as people, we, as Christians, we are commanded not to be at odds with those in authority over us unless it's absolutely necessary that we're supposed to live quiet, peaceable lives. And Paul cared about the reputation of the local church. And so he said, no, 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 we're not going to go out secretly. You're going to come and publicly apologize to us so that everyone knows we're not doing anything wrong. We're not doing anything against Roman laws. We're, we're not telling people to break Roman laws. We're, we're not causing riots. We're not doing anything wrong. You need to know that we as Christians, we as followers of Jesus are doing it right. We're doing it well. And as I was in this passage, thinking about Paul and thinking about his heart for the gospel, thinking about his heart to carry the gospel, I thought about my own life. And I thought about how I think a lot of times one of the difficulties that I have with salvation is I view it only as a gift and a gift that I'm, I just possess and I consume that is just for me. But I don't think that's how Paul viewed it. I have this, 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 this thing right here. Does anyone know what it is? No, but that's close. I'll give you a hint. Yeah, it's a baton. It's about not the kind that you twirl, although that's impressive. I, I saw a girl at a football game the other day doing three different batons. Yeah, I couldn't even do one. That's impressive. But anyway, yes, it is a, it's, a, it's a baton that you would hand off in a relay race. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with relay races. I don't know how familiar you are with the, with the Olympics. But just recently, I think it was in the 70s, that they started doing these different relays in the Olympics. They used to have just the regular events. But uh, it, sometime in the 70s, they started doing relay races in the Olympics. And, I mean... Not to brag, but the U.S. has been cleaning up in the sprint relays in the Olympics since they started. Now, not every time, but for the most part, I think, that, I think it's the women's, uh, the women's 4x100 that has won more times than all the other countries combined. I think that's what it is. I, I might be confused on some of the things that, that, that I'm saying here right now. But, but nonetheless, 
heavy favorites to win. Now, back in 2008, I don't know if you remember the Beijing Olympics, probably the only thing you remember about that was Michael Phelps, uh, rank, uh, you know, r- racking up the gold medals. But nonetheless, there were some other people involved, and there were some runners, and there was a group of women, four by 100. It means they each ran 100 yards, and they would hand off the baton to the next uh, girl, and then she would run 100 yards, and, and it ended up being 400 yards total. And these women were fast. They were heavily favored. And yet they didn't even qualify for the finals. You know why? Drop the baton. It didn't matter how fast they were. It didn't matter how athletic they were. They didn't even qualify for the finals because they dropped the baton. They didn't take care of the baton. They didn't take care of this baton. Same Olympics, 2008 in Beijing, men's 4 by, one, four by 400 which is a Baylor race, everyone, just so you know. Baylor is the 4x100 team. And, and uh, in fact, one Olympics, I think we populated the entire 4x100 team just from Baylor. I mean, I want to brag because I didn't run, but I will. Uh, and so you've got the guys, 4x400, four, four running in these incredible times, and yet they get disqualified because they dropped the baton. This little baton is so important to the race. In fact, the U.S. hired a brand new guy to be head over all the track stuff, and he hired a guy just to work on this. Because of the epic fails that happened in the 2008 Olympics. This is so important. And I think so often, when I, when I think about salvation, I think about it as something just to have for me, just to consume. I don't think about it as a baton that I'm carrying. But the men of God, back in the days of Acts, they knew. The women of God knew that it was a baton that they were carrying. That Jesus said, hey, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to hand you the baton, and now you are going to carry it to the world. And I think the second problem that I have so often is I just don't think of it as very valuable. Last weekend, or last week, I think it was Monday, I watched American Sniper. I don't know if you've seen that movie or not, but I watched that movie, and, and, and the movie ends, and everyone is just silent. It's just dead silent. And, you know, what... Laying aside whatever your, your, your politics are on, on the different wars that America's had recently, the thing that hit me so heavily was the cost of my freedom. Now, I've been walking around all the time just taking my freedom for granted because it didn't cost me anything. I didn't have to go fight. I didn't have to suffer. I didn't lose an arm. I didn't lose an leg. I didn't lose an eye. I didn't die. In fact, no one in my immediate family had to go to war either. And because I don't know, because I don't understand, because I haven't tasted it, I don't get grasp the weight, the cost, the value of my freedom. But when you watch a movie like that, and you see what people go through, what men and women go through, and you look at the history of our country and the great cost of freedom back in the the 1700s all the way up until now, you begin to realize that our freedom is valuable because it was costly to someone. Not only was it costly to someone, but it was costly for many, many, many people. And and, and when when we put this in terms of salvation... And we start with Jesus, that Jesus came to this earth, the God of the universe, who has need of nothing, 
He needs nothing. He's, he's, he's all powerful. He's got all the love that he could need within himself. And this God went down to save people that had rebelled against him. And he became human. And he got hungry. He got thirsty. He got tired. He got weak. He got lonely. He got sad. He had to lay down his human will for the will of the Father. He said, he said Father, not my will, but your will be done. He was, he was spit upon. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was tortured to death. It cost Jesus a great deal. And then when he passed the baton on to the disciples, it cost them a great deal too. He suffered. They were beaten. They, they were tortured. They were whipped. All but one died a martyr's death. They died because of their faith, because they wouldn't recant their faith. And the one that didn't was boiled alive in oil and survived. So I think that counts. And here's, here's what jumped out to me. Gra uh, grab your Bible and turn to Colossians chapter 1, if you will. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, page 638. And Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Paul is writing to this church of, uh, the church of Colossae. And he says, he says, now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Let's, let's read that again. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Did you hear all the things that Jesus went through? What was lacking in that list? What did he not do? What length did he not go to? He did it all. He paid it all. He said it is finished right before he died on the cross. What was lacking in Christ's afflictions? We get a hint in Philippians chapter 2, verse 30. Paul is talking about this guy named Epaphroditus. He was writing to the church of Philippi, the, the, the church that we've just been talking about. And they were very generous. Even though they weren't that wealthy, except for Lydia and maybe a couple others, they, they were extremely generous. And so they wanted to give money to Paul to help him in his ministry, to help him so he wouldn't have to be a burden to other churches. And so they all gave. They all gave of, of, of what they had to help bless the spread of the gospel. But they were in Philippi and the money was in Philippi. And so they sent Epaphroditus to carry the money, to bring the money safely to Paul. And Paul said, he was filling up what was lacking in your service to me. And when I think about what Paul says, that, that in his suffering, in, in his life, he's filling up what was lacking in Christ's affliction. Paul was thinking that what he does, that what he gets to do to carry this baton, to take this good news, to take this great salvation, and to carry it to other people, is, is this great gift that God has given us. That Jesus, even though his death was complete and paid it all, he gave us the gift of a new, redeemed, restored purpose. That we all would have this great purpose. That we could live lives that aren't ordinary. That we could live lives that aren't just consumed by this world and this life and today and all the stuff that's going on. Consumed by, by what people think about us and consumed by the money that we would make and the popularity that we would have. But we could live lives that would echo into eternity.
by giving us the opportunity to fill up what is lacking in Jesus' afflictions. The only thing that was lacking is Jesus' presence with other people. And we, through the Spirit of God, are the hands and the feet of Jesus. We're his body. We are Jesus to people. And we get to carry this great salvation, this epic salvation to people. You know, I think about Paul. And he's, he, he's there in the midst of this crowd. And they're yelling and they're screaming. And they're, they're, they're bringing these charges against him. And they bring out the rods to beat him. And I had this, this, this thought in my mind. That as Paul is just getting beaten, that he's just getting whacked over and over and over and over and over again. Rather than saying, I'm a Roman citizen, don't do this. Rather than thinking about his life, rather than thinking about his health, rather than thinking about what, what, would, what would matter for him. He's, he's there and he's clinging to this baton. He's clinging to this great salvation and he's thinking, I've got to get this to the next generation. I've got to carry this well. I've got to demonstrate the gospel well because there are people that need Jesus. There are people that don't know Jesus that are living enslaved to sin. That are, that are overrun by greed, overrun by lust, overrun by their, 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 their lust for power and their lust for sex, and their lust for all these things that are owning their lives and they're going to spend an eternity apart from God and I've got to get this to them because God wants to invite them into their family. Over and over he's getting beaten. I've got to carry this to them. In Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about this great cloud of witnesses that we are surrounded by. So many great men and women of the faith. And I, I want to read this to you. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11. He's, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 24. And, and it says... Um, Verse, sorry, verse 36. Verse 36. It says, uh, others suffered mocks. He was just talking about all these different people, about Moses and about Noah and, and about uh, all these, these, these people, these men and women. It says, others suffered mockings and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They, they, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in the skins of sheep and goat, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in the deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And it goes on to say why these men and women did this. Because they were carrying this great salvation. Because Jesus suffered and died. He rose again and he handed it to the disciples. And the disciples handed it to people like, like Polycarp. And, and he handed it to people like Origen. And, and they handed it to people like Augustine. And it was handed down over and over. And so many people were beaten. So many people died for their faith. So that we could have so great a salvation. Yeah, it was free to me. Yeah, I didn't have to pay anything for it, but it was costly to Jesus, and it was costly to these men, it was costly to these women that brought it safely to me, and now I am, and you are, invited into the story to carry this great salvation, this great news that God isn't mad at you. He doesn't hate you. He loves you, and he wants to invite you into his family. He wants to invite you into his kingdom. He's standing there waiting to forgive you so that you can spend eternity with him. And he wants to set you free while you're here on this earth. And we have this message that people need. There are people outside of here that, that are dying. Dying for something real. For something more. 
And we have the opportunity to carry it and give it to them. Can you imagine the people generations from now, a hundred years from now, that will have the baton because we were willing to follow the leading of the Spirit even when it was hard, even when it was difficult, even when people opposed us, when people made fun of us, when, when it conflicted with the ways of the world and people hated us and people mocked us and people mistreated us. There will be people hundreds of years from now that will have the baton because we were willing to suffer great hardship because of the joy that we have in the salvation that God has given us because we have valued it so greatly because it costs so many people so much to give to us. We can live lives that will ripple into eternity. We can live epic lives that have great meaning, that have great significance because God loves us that much. I don't know about you, but that is not the story of my life very often. I'm going to ask the, the, the band to come back up uh, and, and lead us in some worship. But, but I, just, I just wanted to take time um, because I imagine that for most of us in here, that, that is, that's not our, our story. We, our lives don't look like Lydia's all the time. I imagine that there have been times that you've been ashamed of the gospel, that you didn't want to share the gospel with people because you were afraid you were scared about how that would affect your life, how that might affect your, your, your social life, how that might affect a number of things. And, and I've been there many times, ashamed to share the gospel, ashamed to carry this. So many times I haven't valued the gospel that God has given me. I haven't valued the sacrifice that so many people have made. And I want us to enter into a time of confession. Confession is such a beautiful thing. Scripture says, that if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to, to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins one to another and they pray for us, there is great power as the prayer is working. And you've got to know this. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No condemnation. There should be no guilt. There should be no shame. But maybe some conviction from the Spirit. And what I want us to do is, as the, as the band continues to lead us in worship, I want you to just take a moment. And I want you to bow your head. I want you to pray. And just ask the Spirit to reveal to you times that you were ashamed Reveal to you times that you didn't consider the, the news of salvation worthy to be carried well. Maybe times that you dropped the baton. And then just ask for forgiveness. Say, forgive me. Help me. I may be weak. My flesh is weak. But your spirit's strong in me. And know that he is faithful and just to forgive you. And that there is no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ. No matter how big you've messed up, no matter how many times you've failed, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. What an amazing gift God gives us. So let us worship. And then after you're finished, man, stand and give God all of yourself. Heavenly Father, we need you. God, we need you. We are weak. Our flesh fails. 
God, so many times we've been ashamed. So many times we haven't valued the, the, the sacrifice that you made. So many times we haven't carried this well. We haven't represented you well. We have fallen. We have failed. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to our hearts and our minds times that we have. And I pray that you would be faithful to forgive us as we confess to you our sins. And I pray that you would fill us with your love, fill us with your praise, and that we would be passionate to go out and change the world, bringing them this gift that God loves them and wants them to be a part of his family. We cry out to you in the power of your son's name, Jesus. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ.